Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Philemon 1 and only. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of our Lord's of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to, for you, my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that, I could, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I, did not, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write this to you, knowing, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greeting, greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus and Christ be with you, your spirit. Perfect. Thanks, Josh. Why not? All right. Well, welcome. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and a huge welcome, especially if this is the first time you've been here. Um, it's great to have you here. and I trust that tonight you'll um, maybe leave with more of a clarity around who you are and who 
this Jesus is that we're talking about. Tonight, we're talking about this book, Philemon. Um, We're doing a series called, we called it One Hit Wonders, and we're basically looking at all the books of the Bible that just have one chapter. There it is. Um, It's very... Thank you, Rach, for putting that one together. Um, Philemon, I think, is one of those books that it would be up there for a contender if you only had to read one book of the Bible in your whole life, Philemon would be a good one to read because there's a lot in it and it actually teaches the heart of the gospel. It teaches the heart of who Jesus is really beautifully. So let's get into it. Turn to the person next to you and say, we are family. There we go. That's my one hit wonder reference. So good. That's good. I've got all my sisters and me. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, they say they say you can't choose your family, Um, and that's that's true. I think you don't you don't get to choose the parents that you have that you're born into. You don't get to choose the siblings that are added. You have no real control over which family you get brought up in, and for some people. That's incredible. That's fantastic. You get born into a family that is loving, that is safe, that is a good place to be. But for others, and I know that this is a reality for people in the room here tonight, for some of you, you might have been born into a family that was not loving and not safe and not a good place to be. And talking about family can be complicated. For some of us, it can bring a lot of baggage and a lot of hang-ups and a lot of Um, things maybe from the past that have gone wrong and they come back to mind when we talk about family. And family is a huge part of what the Bible teaches about. It talks about God as a father and us as his children. So we have to get a right understanding of what God's talking about when he talks about family to really, I think, embrace that teaching and really settle it within ourselves putting aside whatever else has happened. And one of the things I think that Jesus changes is families. He changes the very nature of families, not just human households, but also he changes the family of faith. And when I'm talking about family tonight, I'll try and make it clear whether I'm talking about family as Christians, as family, or whether I'm talking about family as biological family where you're born. So why does Jesus change family? Well, I think Jesus changes family because he changes us. He changes our very nature. And what we were doing tonight in baptism uh, with Vanessa was saying that Vanessa's old life has been, is dead and buried, and she's been raised to new life with Christ. We believe that believing in Jesus actually changes you to the core. And because it changes you, it then can change the way that you live and interact and love other people. So when I talk about, you know, family, I talk about this idea of the household of faith. I'm not just talking about us in the room here, but I'm talking about the church, capital C church, all Christians. And the book of Philemon invites us to look at the way we act and the way we treat others within the family 
and it challenges us to think Christianly about one another. So I'll just summarise the book and then we're going to get into some teaching. So to to summarise, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote the book of Philemon to a guy named Philemon, who was a Christian leader um, in in a place called Colossae. So the book of Colossians was also written to that particular church where Philemon was. And Paul's writing on behalf of a man named Onesimus, who had been a slave or was a slave in the household of Philemon who had run away. And they suspect, reading kind of the subtext, that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon, he'd betrayed Philemon's trust and he'd run away. After running away, for some reason, whether by his choice or whether by happenstance, Onesimus meets Paul in prison and he becomes a Christian. And so Paul has this sort of conundrum because here is Onesimus who has become a Christian who was a slave who ran away. And Paul realises, well, he has this, this, this wrestle. He's like, what, do I gonna, what am I going to do with this runaway slave? Because reconciliation is required here between Onesimus and between Philemon. And so Paul writes this very uh, sort of persuasive, clever letter to try and get Philemon to change the way that he sees his former slave. So Paul appeals to Philemon to consider Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother. He's not telling Philemon to necessarily release Onesimus from slavery. He's just saying, I want you to view him and love him and accept him as a brother, as family. So Paul develops this argument throughout the book that that Paul and Philemon are family and that Paul and Onesimus are family and if Paul and Philemon are family and Paul and Onesimus are family, then therefore Onesimus and Philemon must be family and if they're family, then they need to work it out and they need to learn to live together. So three things we're going to look at tonight. My three points for all the note takers. One, we're going to look at the truth of Christian family. Number two, we're going to look at the challenge in Christian family. And then we're going to look at the hope for Christian family because there is great hope. Despite all the sort of challenges, there is great hope in this. Pray with me. Father God, as we come before you tonight to look at your word, which is true, we acknowledge that it it challenges us. It can be hard to read your words It can be hard to think about forgiveness and repentance and love. So Lord, grant us grace tonight as we learn about your plan for family. Lord, bring peace to troubled hearts. And Lord, restore our hope. Restore our hope in ourselves, in one another and in the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may have noticed throughout the letter that Paul uses um, sort of familial language a lot. In the, in the first verse, he talks about, he refers to Timothy, his brother. In verse 2, Aphia as a sister. In verse 7, Philemon as a brother. In verse 10, Onesimus as a son. In verse 16, Onesimus as a brother. And in verse 20, 
Philemon as a brother again. So he's using this language of family throughout. He's woven it throughout the whole letter. So he clearly believes that they're not just co-workers, they're not just friends, they're not just acquaintances, but that they are family. He believes that. He believes, he seems to believe that Christians, in the very nature of being Christian, are family with one another. So where does Paul get this idea? Well, he gets it from Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 19, 9 to 13, John says this, and he's talking about Jesus. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So you might say, well, we can't choose our family, but God can. And he chooses you. He chooses us. And what this is saying is to all, so to any, to everyone who receives Jesus, who believes rightly about who Jesus is, that you have become a child of God which is a great equaliser because it means that every single person who calls themselves a Christian, who believes in Jesus, gets to be a child and we get to be children together. It's important when we believe in Jesus that we actually believe the right things about Jesus so I'm taking a little sidebar here, but this is, this is important, I think. Because so often we have this idea of who Jesus is that's not from the Bible. It's kind of made up of bits and pieces we've heard and things that we expect of Jesus. But, but actually, we sometimes miss who he is. And so when I say, you know, we're children of God, that when we believe in Jesus together, I refer back to things like the Apostles' Creed that says that Jesus is the only Son of God, the Father, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So if you believe these things about Jesus, agreeing with the Bible about who he is and agreeing with who Jesus has revealed himself to be through what he says and through what those who wrote the Bible said about him, then you have become a child of God the Father. And when we believe those things together, we become a family of faith with the same Father. So that brings us into familial unity in the church. And in Ephesians 1, Paul talks about our adoption into being heirs, co-heirs, equal, meaning that we've all been made like firstborn children, possessing a spiritual inheritance from God. And I think this is kind of why Paul uses that familial language in Philemon and in other verses, because he's making the point that, we are all 
made equal under God. We are all made to be his children when we believe in him. And this is important in the context of the letter because he's writing a letter to a man who owns slaves and he's, the slave is coming back and Paul needs Philemon to recognise that you have been made the same. You have been equalised by the gospel. So that's the truth. So we're family. But that brings with it challenges. Because it's all well and good to say that we are family, but it doesn't deal with some of the issues that being family brings. And if we look at the story of family across Scripture, we see that family was actually one of the first things to be corrupted in the Bible. And that this corruption of family has permeated through families for all time. And you don't need me to tell you that because we know just by looking at the news or looking at some of the family relationships around us or maybe in our own lives to know that things have not always been right. In Genesis 4, we read about the first family and it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The first family. <laughs> it paints a grim picture for all of us who come afterwards. The first set of brothers, and there's a murder. And this, I think, is the beginning of a pattern that we see that goes through the Bible and through human history of families that should be a place of safety, security, love, nurture, care, being a place of dysfunction, jealousy, anger, even violence. Last week, Nick talked about, from the book of Obadiah, the kingdom of Edom and the origin story of the dysfunction between Jacob and Esau. And we see again and again and again these patterns of families in the Bible and here where they get it wrong. So where the sinful nature of man exists, families are under strain. And those who should offer the most care and love and support to one another do damage to one another. And even in the church, in the family of faith, people can get hurt. Power can be abused. Places of safety can become places of trauma. Vulnerable people can be wounded if the men and women of the church don't protect them. So we seem royal we as in the human race, we seem unable 
to treat our families well. And yet family is the exact thing into which Jesus invites us. This letter of Philemon, when we really dig down to the heart of it, it presents an immense challenge. Paul's letter to Philemon, he, he's persuading Philemon to welcome Anisimus home. And he says in verse 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So Philemon is faced with two questions. Do I forgive Onesimus? And whether you agree with the Roman culture, the slavery system, that's kind of, that's an aside for tonight. The fact is that in that culture, Onesimus would have been a trusted household slave and he betrayed his master by by stealing and stealing from your master was a crime punishable by death, particularly by crucifixion. So it's a serious betrayal and Philemon would have been hurt by this. So Philemon is being asked, can you forgive him? And the second thing he's being asked is not only can you forgive him, but can you look at him as family? And that is an immense challenge. If you've ever been betrayed, if you've ever been seriously hurt, forgiveness is hard, forgiveness is a journey. But the thought of forgiving someone and then not just forgiving them, but inviting them back close as family, that is a challenge. This isn't just a nice letter about a runaway slave. This is deep. It cuts to the core of who we are and how we see one another. How can I forgive that person? How can I see them as family? I think there's a great hope in this. There's a great hope for Christian family, both in your households, but also as a household of faith, as the church. Paul says to Philemon in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So what's Paul doing? It seems almost like he's trying to blackmail Philemon. He's kind of saying like, hey, Philemon, you owe me. You owe me your very life. And if you kind of have read the book of Acts and Colossians, we can see that Philemon is most likely, and based on this, he is a Christian because Paul went there and told him. So Paul, is, is that what Paul's doing? Is he saying, hey, like, you're only a Christian because of me. You have to do this. I don't think that's what he's doing. I'm going to give you my best guess at what I think he's doing and what I think we can grab out of this. Paul refers early on in the letter to Onesimus as a son, which means that Onesimus has become family. He has become a Christian. So Paul sees him like that. And because Onesimus has become a Christian, there are a couple of assumptions that I think we can make about him, assumptions that are true of Christians, of people that know Jesus. So the first assumption is that I think we can assume that Onesimus knows that he needs to be forgiven. 
He's come to the cross of Christ. He understands that he is a sinner. And he realised that he needs to put his soul right. The second assumption, I believe, is that Onesimus' awareness of his need for forgiveness would have led him to repentance. And repentance is the changing of our mind, the putting aside of our rights and our beliefs and agreeing with Christ. So repentance is one of those Christian words we use a lot. The, the Greek word, it just means change mind. So it's kind of this idea that I once believed this, but Jesus says this, so I now believe this. And when we agree with Jesus, it changes everything about how you reconcile with your own identity, but more than that, how you see other people. And so if Onesimus has agreed with Christ that he is a sinner, that he's in need of repentance, that he is in need of forgiveness, and that he is, we can assume then thirdly that he's accepted Jesus as Lord, that he's entered the family of faith, that he's aware of the hurt he's caused and he has a desire for reconciliation and unity. He knows that he deserves a punishment for his wrongdoings, not just against Philemon, but ultimately for all his sins against God, against whom all wrongdoing and all sin is ultimately committed. He has accepted the cross and the resurrection and he's walking in the grace of God, not presuming that Philemon will forgive him, but seeking to right the wrongs of the past. And I'm making those assumptions about Onesimus because I think that they are assumptions that we can make about anyone who has met Jesus. We know we need forgiveness. We are in a state of repentance where we are learning what Jesus requires, what he likes, and we are learning to do those things. And we have a desire for unity with one another. I don't think Paul is trying to blackmail Philemon. I think what Paul is doing is he's putting himself like Christ in between the two. He's mediating between the two. He's saying, I'll pay so if Onesimus owes you anything, I'll pay it so that it's right between the two of you. So Paul's showing Philemon the gospel through his action. He's showing him this is what Jesus has done. Things weren't right, Philemon, between you and God. But Jesus stood in the gap and he paid the price and he made it right. 2 Corinthians, and this is Paul writing as well in chapter 5. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ died for all, for Paul, for Philemon, for Onesimus, and for every single person here. And this is the great equalizer and I believe the great hope for Christian family is that every single one of us needs Jesus every single one and I don't think this is a, this is not a story of an unrepentant person trying to get back into close proximity with someone that they've hurt that's not what's going on here this is a story of someone who's repented 
who's going back to seek forgiveness. So the hope for Christian family, I think, is this. There's five things. They're not, not on the screen, but they're reasonably simple. That Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation. If our interactions with one another in the church as family are not built on the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the truth of his death and resurrection, that we all need him, then there isn't much hope. (laughs) Because with Jesus, equality is brought, that we are all on level ground, that every single one of us needs him. The second thing is that we've all fallen short. We're all in need of forgiveness. We're all equals in, in needing God's grace. The third thing is that in our repentance, we are forgiven. The fourth thing is because we are forgiven, we forgive others because we understand how big the forgiveness of God is and then we, we can't help but to give that to others. And the, the fifth thing is that in a, in a cycle of repentance and forgiveness and repentance and forgiveness and repentance and forgiveness, always changing our minds to be more like Jesus, right relationship in families is restored. So I think the heart of this letter, the the thing that Paul's really trying to get across here to Philemon is that yes, Onesimus has wronged you, but he's no different to you. Because ultimately we've all fallen short. Ultimately we all need Jesus. And ultimately the one, the only one who can choose his family has chosen you. And he's also chosen Onesimus. So you get to be brothers together. Practically, there's a bit to work out, isn't there? As Christians. But I believe that if we approach each other with that humility, knowing that, hey, like we, we all, we've all stuffed up. We're all equal in this. None of us are, there's no such thing as like a super Christian or, I remember growing up, you know, you'd hear people say, oh, I just want to be a better Christian. And I remember one of the pastors sort of stood up and he said, I'm sick of people saying that. There's no such thing as a good Christian or a bad Christian. You're just Christians or you're not Christians. Like a Christian is someone who seeks to follow Jesus, who has changed their mind about the things of this world. And like Vanessa's demonstrated for us tonight in baptism, has said, you know what? I need Jesus. The old can go, the new can come. I'm going to have the band up as we close. Now, I recognise that, that talking about forgiveness and repentance and things like that can be, it can be easy to say and it can be hard to do. It can be really hard to forgive people. And I think there's a, there's a reality around proximity that, that if there is a, a person that has done a lot of damage to you in your life, a person who you should have been able to trust that has hurt you badly, you can forgive them. 
by the grace of God. And they can repent by the grace of God. But you don't have to, you don't have to be in proximity to them, I don't think. For some people, they can. But I think that's a journey. And I don't think that's what this is saying. I don't think this is saying, hey, you have to forgive everyone. And I've certainly seen that sort of language and that sort of attitude being used to hurt people. Oh, you're a Christian. You have to forgive me. So I'm going to come and I'm going to keep hurting you. That's not what this is. We can forgive because ultimately forgiveness is what we've been given by Jesus. And as we understand how forgiven we are by Christ, we can forgive others. But repentance, that changing of mind, is so vitally important here. I just wanted to say that in case people were sort of going, oh, I don't know how I can do that. So we're called to forgive. We're called to repent. But I don't think we're called to put ourselves in situations where we can be continuously harmed by unrepentant people. Why don't you stand up? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray for everyone here tonight. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your grace is the great equaliser, that it brings us all into a place of being your children, of belonging to your family, where your father is our father and you are our brother. And Father God, I just pray for the precious people in this room, especially people for who forgiveness and family at the moment is a real challenge. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to their hearts. You would show them how much you love them, how loved they are by you, how accepted they are by you. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect and ponder and read back over Philemon, that you would show us what it means to be brothers and sisters together. You would teach us to be unified and to be forgiving and repenting together at all times so that ultimately we can be more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.